Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. Hey, we are starting a new series today, and I can't wait to, go, to get going on it with you. I'm really excited. It's going to be a, kind of a shorter series. It's a three-week series, and we're calling it So Good. And uh, the idea here is, is that God is so good. Let me, let me start with a story, and it's a, it's a real story from a, a, a real person and uh, with somebody's real life. Now, I'm using a different name, but let me go ahead and share this. And uh, her name's Karen. We'll, go with, we'll, we'll call her Karen this morning. And she says this, before I trusted in Christ, I felt punished by God. My parents were alcoholics and I was never good enough for their attention. I felt I I wasn't good enough for God's attention either because I thought he wouldn't help me. I was neglected and abused and thought God ignored my cries for help. My demands to make my mommy and daddy stop drinking, stop yelling, stop being violent, stop ignoring me seemed to be unheard. When my brother died, I was 14 and he was 16. I thought I had reached my end point with God. I was angry. Why would God put me through such a horrific childhood and then rip my brother from my life? As I got into my late teens, I moved away from my parents with an older man. Even every time he failed to show me the love or make me happy, I thought it was God again punishing me. Every time I would lose a job, a friend, a pet, a family member, I thought I was being punished. And I would simply ask, why? Why are you doing this to me? See, many people think that God is angry, that he is out to get us. Many people view God as a tyrant, a cosmic killjoy maybe. An angry parent sitting with his belt waiting to punish Others view view God as indifferent. They think God doesn't doesn't care, nor can he care about this world, because if he did, it wouldn't be the way it is. Others view God as temperamental. They view his love and acceptance, his interaction as conditional. If you're good enough, if you do what I want, well then, I'll act. If I feel like it, they view him as a very temperamental God. Some view God's love as, again, conditional, but so they, instead of running after trying to draw him into love, they begin to become very legalistic about it, and they put up a bunch of rules, and if I just simply check off all these boxes... If I come to church enough, if I give enough, if I do this enough, if I, if I treat people better than most, then he'll love me and maybe act on my behalf and maybe I'll have the life that I've always wanted. And all of this amounts to viewing God as not good. I don't know another way to say it. You could probably come up with other words, but that God is not good. And yet, that's not the testimony of his people. It's not the testimony of Scripture. It's not the testimony of his actual character. And it is not the testimony of the way he acts and responds. In fact, 
all the testimony about him of those who know him, who have learned about him, who he has revealed himself to, who have studied his acts and his actions, studied them, compared them, evaluated them, all who have looked at his character come away with the same thing that Scripture says, that God is so good. He is so good. First Chronicles 16.34 says this, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. <laughs> Ezra, <laughs> after being in captivity and being apart from what seemed to be the hand and the blessing of God, not having the word of God with them upon reading the Lord, about the Lord, about God within the word, they screamed out. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Psalms 100, the psalmist says this, Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. Nahum, a prophet, calling back the people to God, said this, The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. Notice he didn't say he's good because there is no trouble. He said he is a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who trust him. So to know those who trust him, he makes himself known. And that is what a good God does. He is good. And I hope that in these next three weeks, we're going to pull out those characteristics that will help you to know and understand that God is good. Somebody invited you this morning. I'm really glad they did. And I hope you will see God in a different light than maybe you've seen him before. I hope that you'll begin to understand who he is. We'll always start from scripture and say this is what he declares about himself. This is the testimony of people who have followed him. This is the testimony of people who have been involved with him, who he has been involved with and called his children and his people. You're like, oh, well, that's because it's in the Bible, but I can assure you that there is pain and there is difficult times and there is plenty of reasons for the people of Scripture to go, what? Until they look at God and they see who he is and they listen to his voice and they watch his actions and then they proclaim with the rest of Scripture that he is so good. So this morning, I want to talk about one of those characteristics, and it's that so good is God's amazing love. So good is God's amazing love. Listen to what the psalmist says in, in Psalm 118. It says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever. And all of them had experienced pain and calamity and disappointment and loss in their lives. And the psalmist is saying, all of you declare the Lord is good because his love endures forever. His amazing love has never stopped enduring. It has never looked away from you. It has never not been there for you. It has never not been extended to you. It has never not been available to you. His love has always been there for you. In Psalm 86, again, it says, For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. 
But give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God. With all my heart, I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love towards me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. How great is your love. And then in 1 John, I want you to, read, I want you to hear this. I, want you to, I hope these words just pour over you. Listen to what it says in 1 John 3, verse 1. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. So the God that created all things created you and me and everything that we have. Though The God that shows us each day what is good and best and what is right. The God who says, you can know me and you can walk with me and I will lead you down straight paths and I will be for you. I will be on your side. I will be your protector. He promises that. I will be your provider. He promises that. I will bring be your strong tower. He promises that. That God right there lavishes his love upon you. The God that has never done anything wrong. The one who has never made a mistake. The one who has always been available for his people. That God says, I lavish my love upon you. I want us to focus in that word for a minute, lavish. Think about that for a moment what it means to lavish yourself on something, what it means to lavish, to fully give everything with great abundance, to pour out on something or someone. You know, one of the greatest pictures that that Scripture gives us of this great lavishing love is that he calls Christ the groom and he calls us the bride of Christ. That is his church and those who receive his love. Do you remember the day of the altar where you stood next to your husband or your wife? Do you remember that day and how awesome it was? And it's in that very moment that some of the greatest lavishing occurs, right? Do you remember that? That that when you say, I do, and you look into one another's eyes, you're saying, yes, I want you to become part of me and I want to become part of you and I want to give you everything I have and I lavish all that I am upon you. And oh, the, the years might be rocky and the, the days might be troublesome ahead of us and we, we'll find those, those moments that's really difficult to get along. But do you remember that day at the altar where that love was lavished upon one another? And you said, I do. I give you my everything. I don't give you part of it. I don't give you some of it. I give you everything I am. It's yours. And then your spouse looked at you and said, I give you everything that I am. It is yours. That's what it looks like for the father to lavish his love upon us. He gives it completely. He gives it wholly. And he gives it without holding anything back. He lavishes. And then he makes us his own. He makes us his own. He doesn't say, yep, now that I've given it to you, I walk away. Or now that I've given it to you, I hope you enjoy it. (laughs) It's enough to last you. I filled up your cup. Don't worry. You don't need a refill. 
No, he says that I make you now my sons and daughters. We're gonna look at that again in a second, but I make you my sons and daughters. I bring you into my family. So why? So that I can continue to lavish my love upon you. Hey, listen, I, you know that I got caught up in an airport last, last Sunday and I couldn't make it back. And, and I, I, I was bummed not to be here, but I will not apologize for while I was gone. Because you see, I was gone so that I could be in the midst of my two sons, even now that they're older, because they're my sons. And I wanted to go be with them to lavish my love upon them. I wanted to be in their presence because uh, they were, one of them's just kind of getting started on his own and the other one's going through kind of a, a, a unique time. And, and I said, that's it. I just got to go. I got to go be with them. One was celebrating something really cool. And I'm like, I just got to be with you. And I went and I just lavished my attention upon them. We went to the store and we bought stuff and I'm hanging up curtains and doing stuff stuff and cleaning stuff. I'm like, this is a dirty apartment, man. And we're just doing, we're just doing stuff, right? We're just, I'm just lavishing my attention. I'm lavishing my affection. I'm lavishing my conversation. I'm lavishing my resources. What am I really doing? I'm lavishing my love upon them. Oh man, isn't that what a, a father or a mother who loves their kids does? They lavish. And people outside of that, those two young men, right? They don't quite get the same thing because they're not in my family. They're not, they're not my sons and daughters. I try to give a lot of love as much as I can possibly get to a lot of people, but they don't quite get it the way they get it. And so he says, I lavish my love upon you, right? And then he says, I bring you that we get to be called children of God, that he brings us and makes us his sons and daughters for all those who receive his love. And then it says this last thing, and that is what we are. It's a definitive statement. It's saying that is what you are. The adoption has been sealed. The judge has made his decision. Everything has been signed. It cannot be taken away. You are the son or the daughter of God. That is how much he loved you and lavished his love upon you. Oh, man, it is incredible. Francis Chan tells this story about a, a woman who got married in his church a little bit later in life. In fact, she had a 28-year-old daughter, and this 28-year-old daughter, because of her development disabilities, uh, operated as about a six-year-old. And uh, she thought she'd never end up being married again. She raised this young woman her whole life and would continue to raise her. And she just figured that love would never enter into her life again. So she served the Lord and served him faithfully and helped people and helped her daughter and just, just loved people. And this incredible man came into her life and said, I absolutely love you. I adore you. And I want to lavish my love upon you in such a way that I would love to make you my wife. But more importantly, I would love to be your husband. And I want to take your daughter as my daughter. And she said, no, you don't understand what that means. He goes, no, I do understand what that means. I've been watching you for these last couple of years, and I want her to be my daughter. I want to partner with you, and I want, to, I want to be her father. And so she said, okay, with great joy in her heart. And they were standing at the, at the altar. They were lavishing their love upon one another. And as Francis Chan tells the story, as he's the one, the one doing the ceremony at his church, he says, so right as we got done and everything else, and it was just about ready to say, hey, now I want the, uh, you know, the kiss and walk down the aisle and do those great things. He says, suddenly, the, 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 the man who is marrying this woman, he steps out. And he says, hey, I, have, I have one more part that cannot go. We cannot wait. He says, if you can just give me your attention for one more moment. 
And then he looked at her daughter who was sitting on the edge of the, on the chair right down in front. And for our time here, we'll just call her Julie. And he looked over at Julie and he said, hey, Julie, will you come up here? And he pulled a ring out of his pocket. And he said, I want you to know how much I love you and how committed I am to you. And as I give you this ring, Julie, I want you to know that I will forever be your father. And you will be my daughter because I love you. Not because I love your mother, but because I love you. And the way he tells the story is then, because you got to remember, this is a 28-year-old woman who's a six-year-old mentally. She begins to scream, he loves me. He loves me. And he be, she begins to run around the church and she jumps up and she hugs him. And he, he loves me. <laughs> I mean, what is that? What is that? That's the response of a young woman who's been loved when maybe she didn't deserve it and other people couldn't show her how she deserved it. Maybe no one ever said it, but she couldn't do anything to earn this man's love. This man just simply loved her because God created her and she was an amazing creation of God. And he just loved her. He lavished love upon her and she couldn't have any other response. Let's go. Hey, sons and daughters of God, is that your response to the living God who we can't do anything to earn his love? We can't ever be good enough to to measure up to his holiness. We can't ever do any of those things for him. He loves us because he's driven by love. He loves us because he is love. He loves us because he created us. And he created us for what reason? To lavish his love upon us. Are we responding in such a way where we're like, he loves us. Woo! I can't wait to go through the rest of my life with God loving me and me being right beside him and him being right beside me. And wow! Is that our response to the the living God who says, you don't deserve it, but I give it to you. And are we like Julie or are we much more too reserved for that one? (laughs) I mean, we have some intellectual hurdles to get over before we take care of that one. Or, well, what if I don't do it so right and so good? I mean, seriously, he wants us to just go, yes, you love me and I didn't deserve that. Because most certainly we didn't. Most certainly we didn't. So many times that's not our response, and it goes all the way back. We can look at it way before Christ, and so many times that's not our response. We see in Jeremiah 2, 2 through 3, what is often our response. The Lord's actually talking to his people, and the Lord says to them, I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was Holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who, de, de, all who devoured her were, were held guilty and disaster overtook them. And what he's saying here is I remember when our relationship was like that. I remember when we were so close. I remember when I was your love. And because I had loved you, that we entered into this amazing relationship. And I remember when I walked before you and you followed me, even into places you didn't know where it was going, even into places you were scared. Even into places intellectually you were sure couldn't be best, but I'm telling you it's good and you followed me. I remember those days. The Lord's literally saying this to Israel, I remember those days. And I remember when I would protect you and those who tried to come against you to devour you, I took them out because nobody would stand in front of my people. Nobody would come against my people. I remember those days. I remember those days when you were with me and you received my love and you walked as my child. I remember those days. And then 
in verse 5, he says, What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me, that they followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves because they walked away from our relationship and left the value and the, the promises that I've given them? And then he makes this statement in verses 11 through 13. He says, Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious gods for a worthless idol. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. So in other words, what he's saying here is that they've turned their back on me. They've walked away from me. That's their first sin for sure. But then they've created their own way. They've said that their own way is better than the way that I had for them. And what they've created won't even hold water. I was the living water that would always walk with them and always give to them and always guide them and always lavish my love upon them. But instead, they created these other gods. They created this other way. They created this other path. And it's like broken cisterns. It won't even hold the water. And here is God lamenting. Because he just wants to lavish his love upon his people, but his people have turned their backs on him. They have made him into their image instead of receiving him the way he is. They have declared him as not a good God because they didn't like some of the things in their life. Because they wanted to live life on their own terms and by their own ways and decide what was best and what was right. They wanted to determine what was holy and good instead of trusting the Lord for what was holy and good. And so they turned away from him. And what did they receive? They received a life that had broken cisterns. They received a life that instead of was overflowing with living water that continued to give, they couldn't even hold the blessings they thought they had. They continued to run out of their life. All that they had started to worship left them empty and left them hopeless. And so that's our response so many times to God. Rather than being the one, having the response that says, rather than having the response that, that says, oh, I can't believe you love me. And we run into his arms and run with him and walk with him and get to know him and trust him all the days of our lives. We turn our back on him. Whether that's before we knew that love or after we knew that love. So often, that's our response. So while that's oftentimes our response, we need to understand something else, is that God's amazing love is absolutely, it is merciful and it is forgiving. It is merciful and it is forgiving. So here's the thing. We can see, we can see this. I'm going to, my, my notes are missing, Steve, so I'm going to have to read them from the screen here. I want to read those passages. So if you can put them up. In Colossians 1, 21 through 22, it says this. Once you were alienated from God, and we were enemies in your own minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Go ahead and go on to the next one. In Ephesians 4, 5, it says this. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. In those two passages, we begin to understand that one of the things that happens with God's love is we come alive. You see, what he does is he gives us himself, and he literally is life. And because we've walked away from God, because we've turned our back on God, we have been alienated from him. And that is a sin against the holy God. We have said to him, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want anything to do with you. Or we've said, I only want to take you and receive you on my terms, the way I want you. And what do we deserve from that? We deserve to be able to go our own way. And what is our own way? Towards death and destruction. You're like, no, that's not what I want. Well, if God is life and everything in him is good, then to be apart from him, to walk opposite of him, is to walk into death. And it is to walk without the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the peace and the hope of God. You're either with him or you're against him. That's all that scripture declares. There's no in-between ground. We don't get to make it up. He's the one that does. And he says, you're either with me or against me. And if you want me, then my love is lavishing upon you. My love is absolutely available for you. I will give it to you and never take it back. My love is merciful and forgiving. It says, because of what I did, by paying your price, by coming to this earth, found, finding no sin in me. That's what happened with Jesus Christ. He, there was no sin whatsoever found in him. By paying a penalty, which is our penalty, we deserve to be forever apart from God, forever alienated from him. So we deserve. But instead, he reconciled us back to God. He brought us. He extended mercy when we didn't deserve it. He gave us forgiveness when we didn't deserve it because he paid the price for us. His one death paid the price for every one of ours. And we're not talking about just death on the other side. We're talking about the death of a relationship right here. He says, my love lavishes upon you so that I am full of mercy and I am full of forgiveness and I continue to give it to you. There's a story that's been passed down through the, through the time, through churches, and, and it goes like this. And it said there was a young boy who was constantly in trouble, and he just kind of was ornery, and he, was, he wouldn't follow the rules, and he kept turning his back on, on his father, and his father kept trying to teach him and show him what is good and what is right. His father brought all sorts of discipline into his life. He was one of those strong-willed kids, just, I'm going to do it my way. Right? And that's kind of who he was. And, and what happened was that it just kept getting worse and worse. And, and the father was just coming to his, his, the end of what can I do to help show this young man how much I love him and that if he will follow my right ways and my right path, it will bless him. It'll lead him to blessings in his life, not to curses. It'll be good for him. How is it that I can show this? And then it happened again. He'd been told over and over again not to play ball in the house. And there he was up in his room, bouncing the ball off the wall. And boom, goes through the window. Dad comes home and that's it. He walks upstairs and he takes his belt off on the way up. And he's like, and the son knows it's coming. He's been down this road a bunch of times, right? It's on its way. I get it. And so, in fact, when he walks in, this 10 or 11-year-old boy is actually already pulled down his drawers, and he's sitting there waiting. I know I messed up, Dad. His dad says, pull up your drawers, son. With the belt in his hand, he takes off his own shirt, and he lays across the bed. He says, here, son, you give me the punishment. 
You give me the whips that you deserve. Seven of them. Right across my back as hard as you can. The son immediately begins to cry and says, no! Yes, son. Yes. And back and forth and back and forth till finally the son relented and began to swat his father. His father stopped him and he said, punish me, son. I will receive your punishment. So he whips him and finally the, the sting begins to show up. The welt shows up on his back. And he stands up and he hugs his son who they're both just crying. And he says, I love you so much. I'm willing to take your punishment if it will teach you, if it will show you the depth of my love that you will follow me and you will allow me to lead you and you will allow me to be your father that leads you down paths that are right and good and best for you. I will receive whatever punishment needs to come my way if you will follow me. And says, Dad, what, why'd you do that? He says, because that is exactly what happened for us when Jesus took our penalty, when he took our cost, when he took the penalty that was due to us. He said, I will pay the penalty because I love you that much. I will take the penalty of what was deserving of you. I will take that because you said you wanted death. I will pay the price of death for you so that instead, because I am merciful and forgiving, that you can have life because I want to lavish my love upon you for the rest of your life because my love challenged me, impresses me to give you mercy. Mercy and grace. The story doesn't end with the son doing it all right and never making any mistakes. It's the exact opposite. He still makes mistakes, but he is forever understanding the heart of his father. He is ever understanding the forgiveness and grace and mercy of his father. And he is forever had his relationship changed and the pursuit of his life changed. He understands. God's love is absolutely transforming. It is absolutely transforming. In 1 John 3, 16 through 18, it says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but let us love with actions and the truth. You see, when we understand that love, when that love has been poured out upon us, we can't help but to begin to act like the one who loved us. It's what happens. We can't help but to act that way because God is so good and his love is so good and it is merciful and it is forgiving. And then when it brings us into his family as his sons and daughters, we get to begin to live that way. And we begin to live like the one who loved us and gave everything for us and gave everything for us on our behalf. It absolutely changes us. I had a gentleman tell me this week, I won't even call him a gentleman. I had D.E. tell me. Many of you guys know who D.E. is. He goes, you don't get it, man. He goes, since I've understood who Christ is and since Christ has come into my life and since I've received his unmerited grace and his mercy and since I have experienced his love, there's never a dull moment in my life. I get to live out that mercy to other people. I get to give that grace to other people. I get to give that love to other people. I get to be that person in somebody else's life. He he goes, never, he goes, never has my life been dull again. I'm like, that's awesome, man. 
I go, that's the way to live because our lives get transformed so that we are no longer living the lives that we're living today that are just for ourselves or just for the, that which we accomplish or just for the goal that we can come up with. We begin to live for the goals and the desires and the, and the, and, and the mind of God, what he would have for us. We get to live under the leadership of God that he tells us what our next steps are. We get to live with others in mind. We get to live saying, can I lavish that same love upon somebody else that was given to me? Can I take care of people's needs because mine are taken care of? Can I walk alongside of people who don't deserve me to walk alongside of them because God has walked alongside of me? Can I love people who don't deserve my love because I've been loved in a way that I don't deserve? We begin to live just like the Father. Remember that story from Karen that we started with? Let me finish that story for you. No matter how much I prayed, cried, begged, I thought God just wouldn't answer me. I was in a toxic relationship after toxic relationship. I would attach myself to people with addictive personalities, people hooked on drugs, alcohol, you name it. It wasn't until my mom went into recovery that I heard her version of my childhood and I received the most genuine apology that I forgave her and I forgave God as well. I realized that my elaborate expectations of God to erase every negative situation in my life were unreasonable. We attended a church service, and I had an epiphany. God didn't put me through my childhood. God got me through my childhood. Without the love and grace of Christ, I could very well be the same, in the same shoes as my parents were. I suffered, I cried, I experienced abuse, but God did not cause it. He was there with me as I was going through it. Understanding how good God was, I trusted Christ fully. Each passing year, my trust and love for Christ have grown even stronger. Since I decided to follow Christ, I'm no longer a victim. In Christ, I am strong. I'm a survivor. I'm God's child. I now see that my life is made whole in Christ. I think back to some of the worst times, and I realize that he was there the whole time. He is a good God. I was blinded by anger, disappointment, and resentment. I couldn't see him, but now I want to help others see him in each and every moment. When they thought they were alone, I want the love. I want to be the love of Christ to others. You see, we're transformed, and we want to be like Christ was to us. It takes our life, and it makes us different when we experience that lavishing love. It's transforming. And finally, God's love is faithful and it's unending. In John 4, 13 through 14, think back to the cisterns now. Think back to the, the, the wells that they created for themselves, the broken cisterns that they tried to carry. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. God's love is faithful, it's always there, and it's unending. It never stops, and he will never walk away from us. In Romans 8, 35 through 37, it says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who 
loves us. Oh, your problems aren't going to go away if you trust in the love of Jesus Christ. He will just always be with you. He will be faithful when everyone else isn't. He will help you to get through every circumstance when it seems brutal and unimaginable and that you can't escape it. When you have let yourself down and others have let, yourself, let you down over and over again, he will be with you. He will never abandon you. He will never leave you. He will always remain faithful. Malachi, why don't you and the band come back up here? I want to end with this story, and I'm going to give you a challenge. It's a story of, uh, his name is Tim. And Tim adopted a, a young girl who had been adopted once, and the adoptive parents said she's too much, can't handle her, and put her back up for adoption. Oh, you want to talk about pain? This little girl knew nothing but pain in her life. And it didn't take too long for, for them to start figuring out some things about their time with this adoptive parent. Because, you see, she saw all sorts of pictures from when they were at Disney World, and she goes, that's Disney World. He said, yeah, you've been there before? No, my family would never take me. They went, but I couldn't go. And she assumed she couldn't go because she wasn't good enough. And he knew right then and there when he got to plan a trip to Disney World. And as he began to plan it, something amazing started to happen. She started to act out. And to act out worse and worse as the trip started to approach. It was brutal stuff. Things that you wouldn't expect, that they never expected, they hadn't seen before. And he couldn't figure out what was going on. And he sat down and he said, began to talk to her. And he goes, you know that we're going to Disney World soon, don't you? And she said, yeah, but I'm not going. She said, why aren't you going? Because the family's going, but I'm not going. And he said, do you know that you're a part of our family? That you're one of our son, you're one of our daughters? And she said, well, yes. Then we are going to Disney World and you are going with us. Because we're going as a family. It does not matter what you do. It does not matter how you act out. It does not matter how many times you do something that disappoints us. You are going to Disney World with us. There will be other consequences for your actions, but it will not be Disney World. You will go with us. And she looked at him, and the conversation was over, and he figured that would fix it. And it got worse as the days approached. And as the days approached, it got worse, and it got worse, until finally they walked through the kingdom gates, and there they were having their glorious first day at the Magic Kingdom. And she acted okay. She acted all right. Things went all right. And he got to the end of a very long, tired day, and on the bed before they were going to bed, she was, had her head down on the pillow. And he said, did you enjoy your day at Disney World? And she sat up and she grabbed him. She curled up on Tim's lap. And she said this. She goes, I went to Disney World today. And it wasn't because I was good enough. It's because I'm your daughter and you love me. Get it. Today, if you don't know that you have a God that just absolutely loves you and that you can't do anything to cause him to stop that love and you can't do anything to stop him from reaching into your life and pulling you towards you, then I'm here to tell you today that it is simple saying, yes, I want that love and yes, I believe you'll never take it from me. I don't know how to live that out. I don't know how to trust it every day of my life, but I know that it's true. And it's as simple as saying, I want you. Yes, I give my life to you. And when you realize how much that love is, you're like, 
You're like the young woman who found out from her new dad that she was accepted. You run to him and say, yes, you love me. And you sit with him the rest of your life and you allow him to be your father and to be the one who guides you and leads you. We're going to end with a couple songs today and I want to invite you to consider that offer. Consider that offer. I want to invite you to. You guys okay up there, Malachi? All right. I want to invite you to consider that offer because he makes it to you and he never holds it back. It will always be yours. He wants to lavish his love upon you. Will you receive it? All you have to do is say yes. Father, thank you for who you are and your great love. Thank you for doing what we couldn't do for ourselves. Could never be good enough. Could never measure up to you enough. Could never do any of those things. And so, Father, thank you for being so good and so merciful. We love you, Lord. I am healed, I am whole, I 
Jesus' name. It should be life, bring suffering, Lord, I will Father, you are good. We don't deserve your goodness, but yet you lavished upon us. We don't deserve your love and let you pour it upon us. We don't deserve it. And in fact, we're even surprised by it. It doesn't come because we're good enough or we've done enough right things or our good outweighs our bad or anything else. It's here because of who you are. It's given to us because of who you are, not because of who we are. You are our great God, and you are so good. And Father, we thank you for loving us that way. We thank you. And today, wherever you are, church, would you just say to the Lord, thank you for that love. Thank you for that mercy and that forgiveness. Thank you that you transform us. You don't leave us like we were. You and make us your sons and daughters, and we get to live for those purposes. That your love is unending. It never fails. We can never be separated from it. It can never be taken away. The things of this life can never make you go away. And so we thank you, Father. We thank you because you are so good. And if you have never said to Christ today, I want your love. I want your mercy. I want your forgiveness. I want to be your son or your daughter. Then don't let another moment pass. Would you say to him, yes, I want it. Yes, I receive it. Yes, I'm yours. I'm in. Be like Karen. May today be an epiphany for you that you realize that he has been with you always, drawing you close to him, lavishing that love upon you, and all you had to do was to be like the young girl who is trapped in an older body and say, you love me. Thank you, Father, because you do. You love us, not because of what we did, but because we are yours. We love you, Father. Thank you so much. In your name we pray. Amen.